0: The following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church, and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. Well, this morning we are continuing in the um, Favorite Text sermon series. And what I want to do today is... I want to share with you a text that I have loved for a long time, but especially as of late, this is a text that has taken on kind of a whole new meaning for me personally, and it has even become much, much more dear to me. But let me start this morning by telling you a story. So on July 11th, Um, Just a couple months ago, I was admitted to Mercy Medical Center with a severe case of COVID pneumonia. My lungs were absolutely thrashed and covered in pneumonia from top to bottom. I spent one day in the medical floor where things basically went from bad to worse. And on July 13th, I was moved from the medical floor to the ICU where I spent 10 days. Now I wish that I could stand here before you and tell you that throughout this whole ordeal, that my faith and that my trust in God was strong and unwavering and that I was basically a super-Christian, but the reality is that I'd be lying to you. That's not true. I, it was hard. <laughs> Those especially those first few days were really hard. They were hard physically. Yes, but they were even harder mentally and even harder spiritually. I was afraid, I was nervous. I spent hours by myself thinking of all the what ifs, which is not a good game to play. I was losing hope, I was filled with doubt tons of anxiety, lots of questions. I was basically a mess and in a really dark place. Now, I had a terrific ICU nursing team caring for me, and my nurse that day noticed that I was not doing well, that I was struggling. So she asked me if I would like to speak to one of the chaplains, to which I replied, yes, send all of them. Anybody you've got, <laughs> send them in. <laughs> then she said that she was going to do all she could to see if she could get my wife Amanda to come see me, even if it was just for a little while, which you can imagine, that's hard. I mean, <laughs> They don't let anybody into the COVID ward, I guess. And so she, whatever she did, my wife came in for a few minutes. Now... Here's where I'm going with all this. I've been a Christian for quite a while now, and I have been practicing the spiritual disciplines for years, and I've been working at building habits of grace in my life for years. But for some reason, in, in my moment of great need, I was having a really hard time remembering the glorious truths of the gospel and the eternal truth of God's word. Anybody ever experienced anything similar to that? So here is where the hospital chaplain and where my wife come in. When when they came to see me, all they did is they they simply reminded me of gospel truth when I was having a really hard time remembering it for myself. They they sat down with me. And they reminded me of the life and and the hope that is found in God's Word during a moment when I was drowning in hopelessness and in fear and in doubt. They anchored and they settled my weary soul in the truth that is found in God's Word. Alone, and so my point in telling you this story is that this morning my my hope, what I what I what I want to do for us today is I want to do what the chaplain at Mercy did for me and what my wife did for me. I simply want to remind you of the beauty of God's word and how much we need it in our lives. And if you ask me, well, why would you do that? because we're forgetful. We forget. Now, I think that this reminder is is timely, is it's especially important in the season that we're living in. It's been it's been a hard season the past 18 months, has it not? it's been, it's been dif- difficult, dark days. I don't even have to I could go through the list of things that have been hard. And so so where should we turn? Where should we turn for guidance? Where should we turn for wisdom? Where should we turn for hope and encouragement? Well, I would encourage you to find those things, to find your sure footing in the word of the living God. So this morning, we're going to look at Psalm 119, and I do promise you that we will not look at all 176 verses, (laughs) or I'll try anyway. I'm only going to read the first stanza of this psalm, and then we're going to bounce back and forth and look at a few different verses. So keep your Bibles handy. Keep your fingers ready. Now, the the reason that we are only reading the first eight verses is, one, because of the length. This is a long psalm, obviously. And, And second, because in this psalm, there are eight basic words that the psalmist uses to describe God's word. The scriptures these these words are the word law the hebrew word debar which means word the hebrew word imra which also means word the word judgment testimonies commandments statutes and precepts in and in these eight words we find slightly different shades of meaning focusing on what god wants what, what God appoints, what God commands, what God has spoken, what he has promised. But, but all these words center around this one big idea. God's verbal revelation to his people spoken by the prophets and now transcribed and written down, inspired by the Holy Spirit to us. You can find at least one of these eight words in 171 of the 176 uh, verses in this psalm. And here's the deal. In, in these first eight verses in the Hebrew, you find all of them. So, so the first stanza is just a great launching pad in a good place to start. Now, here's the big idea for this sermon. Psalm 119 is is a song that comes from the heart of one who believes the Scripture is to be true, one who delights in God's Word, and one who lives by God's Word. This this psalm is is really a song of praise for God's Word. It's It's this love poem about the Scriptures. You ever thought of that? The the longest chapter in the Bible is this this love song about God's verbal revelation. And what I've been praying all week for us is that this song, this poem, would, would become the song in our hearts. So let's read our text. I'll pray. And then we'll dive in. So if you can, please stand with me as we read the word of the living God. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame. Having my eyes fixed on all your commandments, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Let's pray. Lord, Uh, Thank you for your church. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity that I get to serve your people this morning. There is nothing of eternal value or significance that I can accomplish on my own. List you. You empower this moment, strike this moment. And by your spirit, meet your people. So, would you do that today? And as we look at the scriptures, would you help us to see the beauty of Christ? In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, like I said, church, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Psalms, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. Now just a little bit of context as we begin to dive into look at this psalm. First, we're not a hundred percent sure who wrote this psalm. It could be King David. Other theologians seem to think that it was written by somebody in the exile, perhaps Jeremiah, and even other theologians seem to believe that this psalm was written post exile. But the reality is we're not entirely sure. Now, second, notice how this psalm is laid out. There's 176 verses, and you can see in your Bibles, if you have them, that there's this specific heading for every eight verses. Now, now those headings are the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So there are... 22 stanzas in this psalm, one for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And with this breakdown, with this layout, it, it's kind of like the psalmist is, is trying to give you a clue and tell you that it takes every letter in the alphabet to, to attempt and begin to describe how incredible and how beautiful the Word of God really is. This psalm is also an acrostic This means that the, the first word of every sentence in each stanza in the Hebrew begins with that particular letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So like in the first stanza, the first verse begins with the Hebrew word Aleph, second verse Aleph, third verse Aleph, and so on through verse 8. Then the first word of verse 9 begins with the Hebrew word Beth, verse 10, Beth, verse 11, Beth, and so on and so forth throughout the psalm. This happens every eight verses for 22 stances. And so what you find right off the bat, before you really read any verses, you find in this psalm this, this purposeful deliberateness and thoughtfulness. And the point, the point of this deliberateness, the, the point of this thoughtfulness is to, to, the psalmist wants to illustrate for you and for me the order and the beauty of a life that is conformed to the Word of God. So that's just a little bit of context. We could say much, much more. But this morning... I simply want to focus on three things. I want to answer three questions. Question number one, what does the psalmist believe about God's word? Second, how does the psalmist feel about God's word? Third, how does the psalmist respond to God's word? So three things, head, heart, and hands. So let's look first at what the psalmist believes about the scriptures. First, the psalmist believes that God's word is true. Look at three verses with me. Verse 142, Your righteousness is righteous forever. Your law is true. Verse 151, But you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Verse 160, The sum, the the entirety of your word is truth. These are just three Versus a sampling. But over and over, the psalmist describes God's word to be completely true and trustworthy. Church, isn't it hard to know what and who we can really trust? If you were to pull out your phone right now, bring up ten websites, five would say one thing and five would say a completely different thing on the same subject. When you listen to politicians, most of us think, well, I don't think I can trust everything that this person is saying. Then you have journalists and news reporters from a variety of networks, and we think, I don't think I can trust what they're saying. In social media, it's no different. We have experts on every subject with platforms now, and now we have fact-checkers to check every claim, but you really also can't trust the (laughs) fact-checkers. Did you know? That's why we're here. That's why we're here. (laughs) Did you know that you can't really trust all you read on the Internet? (laughs) Sometimes I can't, and we can't even trust our own eyes. A few years ago, There was this famous commercial by dove beauty products called evolution you can find this on youtube if you want to it's about a minute long and they have this young lady who sits down to take some pictures then with a time lapse they show her getting all dolled up getting all the makeup on getting her hair done and you see her being transformed into kind of this new sort of person then You see the photo shoot with the hair blowing back and the the flashing cameras. Then the time-lapse continues, and you see somebody who's obviously in a computer doing the editing. So they make her eyes bigger. They raise her eyebrows. They make her neck longer. They take down some of her shoulders. They accent the cheekbones. And By the time it's all said and done, she looks like a completely different person. And the last picture is this shot of her on a billboard in a city with people walking by. And there's a little line at the end that says, No wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. And when I, when I watch this commercial, what it, what it made me think of is, I can't even trust my own senses. This is not really what she looks like. This is a real person, but with an army of petitions, makeup artists, computer-generated programs to make changes and edits, and you can't even trust what you see. Well, church... During a season where it's hard to know who and what you can trust, you can take this to the bank. The Word of God is entirely true. It is always true, and it is more reliable than even our own senses. Look at what else the psalmist says about God's Word. Not only is God's Word true, but verse 89 says this, it is firmly fixed in the heavens. So the truth of God's word does not move. It will remain forever. Verse 96, there is no limit to its perfection. So the truth of God's word will never corrupt. Verse 160, it endures forever. So the truth of God's word will never wear out. So so if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, man, I am just so confused. I'm confused about life. I just want someone to tell me what is true. What's true about me? What's true about the world? What's true about the future? What's true about the past? What's true about the blessed life? What's true about God? I just want someone to speak truth to me. Well, the psalmist says to you and me, God's Word will always tell you what is true second thing the psalmist believes is he believes that the word of God is good. Look at some of these verses. Verse 39, your rules are good. Verse 86, all your commandments are sure. They are trustworthy. They are faithful. Verse 128, I consider all your precepts to be right. Verse 137, Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Your rules are fair. They are just. The the psalmist looks at all of God's commandments and says, Over and over and over again, the commandments of God are right. They are good. Church, have you ever found yourself reading the Bible, and in your heart as you read some parts of God's Word, you go, I guess I'm a Christian, I guess it's the Bible, I guess I'll follow this, I guess I'll believe it, but I just don't like it. Now there's two ways to look at that attitude. On the one way, there's something kind of noble about that. You're you're willing to put to death your own desires and say, Okay, I'm gonna follow this, I'm gonna believe it, even if I don't like it. So there's something kind of noble about that attitude, but there's something wrong with it as well. You never get the sins, but the psalmist is just kind of folding his arms saying, Okay, God, I don't like your word. No, no, he's he's come to this place in his heart where where his soul is so intertwined with god's word that he just has to say over and over again god's word is right it is good it is for me god is not laying down some arbitrary commands god is not issuing orders in hopes that we will get all tangled up and be miserable He he will never demand what is impure. He will never ask us to do what is unloving. He will never call us to what is unwise. His commands are not cruel and unusual punishment. And if we don't like the commands of God, well, that really is revealing, and it says something about our heart towards God Himself. Because all of His laws are a reflection of the lawgiver, who is always noble, who is always good, who is always just, who is always righteous. So, so why can the psalmist say that the scriptures are true and good and trustworthy? But the basis is God. God is like this. That's his character. He is true. He is good. He is trustworthy. Therefore, his laws will always be true. They will demand what is right and they'll provide what is good. Go back to the beginning of the psalm with me to see how good God's commands are. Verse 1 says this, Blessed are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His testimonies." So so church, this this is not a book to enslave you. This is a book to to set us free. Look, Look at how good this book is. Anyone need counsel? Look at verse 24, your testimonies are my delight, they are my counselors. Anyone weary and in need of strength, the word of God provides strength. Look at verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow, strengthen me according to your word. Anyone need help when being tempted? Look at Verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you need joy. Verse 111, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Need wisdom? The Word of God provides wisdom. Look at verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Any, anyone need direction? The Word of God Shows us where to go. Look at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Anyone feeling hopeless lately? Look at verse 147. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Anyone needing encouragement? Look at verse 50. This is my comfort in my affliction that your word gives me life. Anyone needing peace in an unsettled world? Look at verse 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. This book is good. There is no person. There is no institute. There is no book like this book. The Bible can be trusted in every way to speak what is true and to provide us with what is truly good. So do you believe? Do you believe what the psalmist believed about the scriptures? That's the first point. Now, here's the second. How does the psalmist feel about God's word? It is, it is one thing to go, check, check, check. I believe those things about God's word. But, but notice how he feels about the scriptures. Over and over, throughout the psalm, we read that the psalmist delights in God's word. Look at verse 14. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Could you find yourself delighting in some riches? Everyone's like, can I raise my hand? (laughs) Listen, you could do a lot of things with riches. A lot of vacations, home improvements, cars, good things for your kids, new tech gadgets, etc., etc., etc. All sorts of things that, that you could delight in. So the question is, what do you delight in? And the psalmist says that he delights in God's word as much as in all riches. The psalmist, this this is a treasure chest, and he delights in it. Look at verse 24. Your, your testimonies are my delight. We find the same language in verses 47, 70, 77, 143, 174. And, and notice, too, the, the emotive language that the psalmist uses to describe the scriptures again and again and again. Verse 103, psalmist says this, How sweet are your words to my taste. Verse 111 says, Your testimonies are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. Verse 129, Your testimonies are Wonderful. Is that how I feel about God's word? Sweet, joy, and wonder. Now listen, maybe some of you guys are thinking, I'm not a reader. I didn't go to seminary. Even when I went to school, I never liked reading things. I'm not a smarty pants. I don't listen to sermons on the way to work. I don't do podcasts. I don't read books for fun. I'm not one of those people I will never delight in God's word. Well, I bet that there are times when you would delight to hear someone speak or read something on a page. Don't we delight in reading something if we know that there is great benefit to it? If, if someone stood up, the executor of a wealthy estate and said, okay, we've gathered the family here, I will now read from the will, and we're going to hear how the wealth will be distributed. Wouldn't you suddenly perk up and be attentive? And after the executor was finished, wouldn't you say, give me that. I want to read it over myself. I want to make sure I did not miss anything. You would do that because you know that there's great benefit for you or what if I said church there's a bomb in this building I need one of you to defuse the bomb I've got a set of instructions here church even the guys would read those instructions (laughs) because there's great danger in not getting it right or don't you read things when they're about you You know, my dad passed away when I was really little. And through the years, I've inherited things that belong to him. You know, notebooks, books, letters, journals. And I have loved reading those things and learning not only about him, but about how he felt about our family and about me as his son. We we also like to hear things and read things about the people that we love. If you had a son or a daughter who went away to college and they wrote you, you'd be shocked. You'd say, "Honey, gather around. He wrote us an email with actual words. <laughs> you you would you would read it because you love your son and you you would want to know how he's doing. You would read about someone you love. So so think about it. If we would read something, if it has great benefit. To us, and if we don't get it right, there's great danger. And if it's about us, and if it's about someone that we love, well, doesn't that the scripture kind of fit the scriptures? All of those things can be said about God's written word. There's great benefit in hearing what God has to say. There's there's great danger if we don't pay attention to those things. It is, on the one level, a book about us that speaks to us. But more than anything, this is a book about someone who we dearly love, the Lord Jesus. So you don't have to be this straight-A student to delight in God's Word. The psalmist knew what he could find in this treasure chest, and so he delighted in it. So so the psalmist feels delight but he also feels desire. I counted at least six times, the psalmist expresses this longing to keep the commands of God. Look at verse 20 with me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Verse 40 says this, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Verse 131 says, I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. I also counted an extra 14 times when the psalmist expresses desire to know and understand the word of God. And here's the deal, church our lives are animated by desire. It is literally what wakes us up in the morning, what gets us up in the morning. And that's why depression is so debilitating, because it is the stripping away of desire and hope and joy in any sense that the day has something good to offer. And for the psalmist, God's word is what he longs for, what he desires, what he is hungry for. The, The psalmist literally lies awake at night thinking about God's word. In verse 148, we read, My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Desire is what we spend time thinking about, what we dream about, what we pray for. In this room, all of us have all kinds of desires right now. Desires for relationships, desires for children or grandchildren, desires for uh, a career or a promotion, desires for getting out of debt or a house, a vacation. We may even have some, some bad desires, desires for revenge or selfish recognition. There's all sorts of good desires, all kinds of bad desires, and most of us have a jumble of them at work in our hearts, motivating us all the time. In the midst of that, do we desire to know and to understand and to keep the Word of God. So the psalmist delights in God's Word, he desires it, and finally he depends on God's Word. Verse 31 says this, I cling to your testimonies, oh God. The psalmist feels his great need for God's word. He's he's desperate for it. The psalmist literally is saying there's there's lots of things that we need in life, but there are a few things that I truly need to live, and this is at the top of that list. Church, listen, I've... I've got a renewed understanding of what needing something to survive actually means. You will never know how much you need oxygen until you are gasping for it because you can't breathe. Again, there's lots of things that are good for us that we need in life. But there are a few things that we truly need to live. And at the top of that list is this book. So the psalmist delights in God's word. He desires it, and he depends upon it. How about us? Because we've seen what the psalmist believes about God's word. We've seen how he feels about God's word. And finally, how does the psalmist respond to God's word? I could also say it like this. What will burst forth... Or what's the geyser of action when underneath this is all this pressure of belief and feeling? Or, or if you believe this to be true, if you feel this way, then what's going to be expressed in action? Look at how the psalmist responds. First, he he sings God's word. Verse 172 says this, My tongue will sing of your word. The second thing he does is that he speaks of God's word. Verse 13, with my lips, I declare all the rules of your mouth. The next thing he does is he studies God's word. Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. Next, he, he stores up God's word. He, he memorizes, he meditates upon the scriptures. Verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Next, he, he obeys God's word. Verse 8, I will keep your statutes. Next, he, he worships the God who spoke these words. Verse 7, I will praise you with an upright heart. And finally, he, he prays God's word. All of Psalm 119 is really this prayer in song format. It's, it's one long prayer that's full of small prayers to the Lord for him to teach us his word and open our eyes. So did you notice the seven things the psalmist does as a response? He sings, he speaks, he studies, he stores up, he obeys, he worships, and he prays. You can probably almost memorize that. Sing, speak, study, store up, obey, worship, and praise. So that's how the psalmist responds to the written word of God. Let's start to wrap it up here. Let me ask you again. What do you believe about God's word? How, how do you feel about God's word? Here's something that I am absolutely convinced of, church. We can't simply out of thin air conjure up belief that the Bible is good and true. We we can't out of nowhere just spark the flame of desire, delight, and dependence upon God's word, and we will definitely not obey this book out of our own strength. It must be the work of the Holy Spirit. So the first thing I would encourage you to do is I I would urge you to to be a person who commits to pray that God would be the one who sparks these flames in your heart. But second, we also have a responsibility. We have a part to play. We we must be a people who who spend time in this book. We, We have to put firewood into the fireplace of our soul and then pray that God would light the firewood on fire. Now sometimes doing this the the getting into this book will will be easy and will come from a place of desire. Other times it will be hard. And you and I will have to exercise discipline to get into this book. But in both of those things, if, if one day is desire and the next is discipline, in both of those things, God is at work. But here's the deal, church. What you feel about the scriptures, what you believe about the scriptures is crucial to your life. Why? Because, because how we feel in what we believe about the Scriptures reveals what we really believe and feel about God Himself. In the book of John, we find these words, John one. 1 in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So what John tells us is that, is that the, the Word of God is not simply an it, it is a person. Jesus is the Word made flesh, which means, among other things, that all of the attributes of God's verbal revelation, truth, righteousness, power, wisdom, etc., all of those things are found in the person of Christ. All that the psalmist believed and felt about the written Word of God is all that you and I should feel and believe about the Word of God in the flesh, Jesus. Amen. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is true. He is good. and He is right. We should desire Him. We should delight in Him. We should depend on Him. We should sing to him and about him. We should obey him and talk about him and worship him and learn about him and follow him. And and to be clear, here's the deal. Our our staying true to, our desire for, our, our delight in, and our dependence on the words of Scripture will never grow inversely with our desire, our delight, and our dependence on Jesus. Those two things will always go together. They will rise together, and they will stagnate together. The most mature of Christians will be thrilled to hear every love poem that speaks about the Word made flesh and every love poem that celebrates the Word of God. And what is so cool about Psalm 119, a psalm that celebrates God's written Word, is that it is throughout the entirety of the psalm, it is pointing us forward to Christ. So here is the gospel. Psalm 119 It's not just about the written word of God. The written word of God points us to something greater than itself, someone greater than itself, namely Jesus, the incarnate word of God. So look very quickly at all the ways that this psalm points us to and echoes Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to... Blitz through a bajillion verses here, okay? I may just give these to Dave later, and if he wants to send them out, he can. Verse 1 and 2, we hear in this psalm echoes of the blamelessness of Jesus. In verse 99, we hear echoes of the wisdom of Jesus, like when he was in the temple at age 12. In verses 30, 44, 47, and 60, we hear echoes of his perfect obedience. In verse 147, we hear echoes of his prayer life. In verse 20 and 97, we hear echoes of his love for God's law. In verse 136, we hear echoes of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem and weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. In verse 53, we hear echoes of Jesus' righteous anger when cleansing the temple. In verse 95 and 157, we hear echoes of people responding towards Jesus with hatred. In verse 28, we hear these echoes of the Garden of Gethsemane. In verse 61 and 69, we hear echoes of his suffering for righteousness' sake. In verses 83 through 87 and 121 through 124, we hear these echoes of the persecution of his enemies. In verse 161, we hear echoes of Pilate and Herod coming against Christ. In verse 61, 69, 71, 75, 85, 86, 87, 95, 121, 143, 157, we hear these echoes of Jesus' betrayal, trial, and suffering on the cross. In verse 75, we hear echoes of his perfect faithfulness. In verse 112, we hear echoes of his cry on the cross. It is finished. In verses 107, 143, and 153 through 154, we hear echoes of the resurrection. So throughout this entire psalm, we see these anticipations of Christ, the one who lived perfectly, fulfilling all the demands of God's law, and who was cursed for us, so that in Him we might be blessed eternally. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Jesus lived the life we could not live and won't. He lived sinlessly and perfectly obeyed God and fulfilled all the demands of the law. He then died the death that we deserved as our substitute in our place to satisfy God's wrath. And then he conquered death, sin, and the grave, our greatest enemies, with his resurrection. And now he offers life to anyone who would trust in him. The Jesus storybook Bible describes what the scriptures are all about like this. And this is on the screen. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules, telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you or what you should be doing. It's about God and what he's done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, they get afraid, they run away, at times they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is, most of all, a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. And you see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories tell one big story. The story of how God loves his children... And comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of it, there's this baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle. The piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. So the Bible points us to Christ. And it is about Jesus it's all about Jesus and so therefore I must ask you this question to close friend do you believe in Jesus do you trust him do you know him do you find Jesus to be good do you desire him are you delighting in Jesus do you love him are you obeying him are you following him and are you being formed into his image if your answer is no I would urge you to turn to him this morning. Let's pray. Well, Father, I my prayer, Lord, is that you would make us a people of the book. Like I said, you know, there's there's nothing that we can do out of our own to, to conjure up belief that the Bible is true. There's nothing we can do to to all of a sudden desire the delight in this book. And for sure, we will not obey it. So would you do a work in us this morning, God? Would you a work in us this morning, God? Help us to be disciplined. Help us to be faithful to to spend time in your words, God. Shape us and mold us, transform us as we do, God. Show us Christ as we do, God. Think that you are a God who has spoken and who speaks to us who has revealed himself verbally, and more than anything, you've revealed yourself in the person of Christ. Help us to be a Jesus people, Lord. So Father, pray for those that may not know you today. Would you open up their eyes, would you draw them to yourself, and would you save them, God? And for the rest of us, Lord, help us to to go forth from here, God, and to... To not forget the reminder we heard this morning, Lord. I needed it, Father. Form us, shape us, ground us in your word during this difficult time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, Visit us on the web at www.clfrosberg.com.